0: I realized when I kind of made it to sort the law firm that I managed to get a training contract that I was like, do you know, this like exception to the rule, it was like, okay, I've made it. This is great. Where are all my people? <laughs> Where are the people that look like me? Where are the people that have come from a similar background to me? Where are the people that I, have, I can have a conversation with about growing up in South London? Where are the people? Do you know what I mean? It was just, I just felt like an imposter.
1: Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways and on this podcast they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are Everyday Leaders amazing how you can hear a statement, a phrase, a quote from someone that ends up changing the way that you live your life and the way that you approach things on a day-to-day basis. This is what happened to my guest today, Claudine Ademi, and she shares how two words made a massive difference to how she operated in the corporate environment and going forward. She is the founder of Career Air, and as you hear, she does a number of different things. We expand around what is, what makes a portfolio career, and what's the advantages and disadvantages of having one. We also delve into subjects around confidence imposter syndrome, bootstrapping, the hilarious story of how she met her co-founder and how she broke, broke her foot. Trust me, you really, you really want to hear that. We'll talk about her being a workaholic. And, of course, what her definition of leadership is. Let's get straight into this episode. Welcome to Everyday Leadership. So today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Miss Claudine Adeyemi. Hi. How are you doing?
0: I'm really well, thank you. How are
1: you? I'm good. I'm looking forward to learning a lot in this interview because when I look through Everything that you do, it's a lot. From lawyer, founder of Career Air, Global Shapers London. There's advisory, I think, for Upreach. There's UK Black Tech. And then you're in-house counsel for (laughs) WeFarm.
0: When you put it like that, it's definitely a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely a lot.
1: So you are someone that has what can be described as a portfolio career? Yes. Was that intentional? And what are the advantages of having a portfolio career?
0: Was it intentional? Yes and no. So I guess when I kind of first started having what could be described as a portfolio career, I don't think I was aware that I had a portfolio career. So from that perspective it wasn't intentional, but I think what I discovered was that I am just someone that has lots of different interests, lots of different passions, doesn't like being stuck in doing one thing. And so was, became intentional about making sure that was how my life and situation was set up basically.
1: What are the advantages of having a portfolio career?
0: So for me, I think I touched on it a little bit in terms of being able to work in environments and on things that i am passionate about that could be widely different vastly different so i yeah appreciate the ability for me in any given week to be able to be solving complex legal challenges at the same time as helping people with their careers for example and so that for me is the main advantage like having the the freedom and the flexibility to work across a number of different areas be learning a bunch of different things and and when I say learning not just from the work that you're doing but also from having to be working in different environments working with different people so yeah that's I think that's the kind of advantages for me that kind of opportunity to learn and thrive in different environments and working on different things.
1: So how does that in fact that does differ a lot from the advice you tend to get, generally speaking, around stay in your lane, focus on one thing, don't get distracted by other things. Now you're excelling at different things that you're doing. So how do you combine both schools of thought together?
0: That is a really good question. I think I wouldn't even say that I could be any kind of expert on that point because focus is something that I find difficult. If I have a an idea that I think is great or an opportunity that arises that I'm excited about I will find ways to talk myself into into going off and doing that thing or getting involved. So it's all a blessing and a curse, if that makes sense. It's kind of portfolio career thing. But I think in terms of finding that balance, and I personally believe that you can do multiple things, but within each of those things, be focused, if that makes sense, and be great at one thing. So like to give an example, okay, I run career and and, you know, we're a tech, business and there's there's things that we are trying to achieve but I'm not within that business doing the tech as well as doing the bd as well as doing the marketing and do you know what I mean so I think there are ways of kind of structuring it so that you are understanding the skills that you have the interests that you have the things you're passionate about and the kind of high leverage activities that you can do within each of those areas that means that you are kind of able to still excel across those different areas, if that makes sense.
1: That makes perfect sense. And as we were talking there, that reminds me of there's, I think there's a, um, something you're working on with Nesta and the Department of Education, which actually taps into like identifying your current skills and skills for the future. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. So we basically are finalists in the Career Tech Challenge Prize. And so Received a grant from Nestor and the Department of Education, as well as other support to continue to build out career and, in particular, build out the integration of labour market information data, but also build out what we call skills checks, where basically our members who are using our platform will be able to take these kind of assessments, they're quite short, that will give them an idea of where they sit in terms of the skills that we've identified. Of as being skills of for the future, skills of the future, skills that people will really need to have or at least think about how they develop if they're going to thrive in what is, is commonly known as the future of work, although I could say it's the present of work. But hey, so yeah, and that, that ability to, yeah, start trying to identify not just what those skills are, but also crucially which skills you're kind of lacking in therefore where you need to develop is going to be quite crucial for us going forward.
1: How much of your path, would you say, growing up, your path to become a lawyer, being in an environment where you basically have to use your network to create the lifestyle that you really wanted when you first started out or you wanted to become a lawyer? How much of that has inspired your journey and your decision to start a career?
0: Yeah. Um, Career exists because of the experience that I had. So. I yeah left home at sixteen. I came from a background where I didn't have any kind of contacts in terms of kind of people in various professions that would have been able to help me on my path to kind of becoming a lawyer. didn't know anyone that'd been to university and frankly, that's like quite typical of a lot of, of of my peers as well and for me, I realized when I kind of made it to to the law firm that I managed to get a training contract that. I was like, you know this like exception to the rule, it was like, okay, I've made it. This is great. <laughs> Where are all my people? <laughs> Where are the people that look like me? Where are the people that have come from a similar background to me? Where are the people that I, have, I can have a conversation with about growing up in South London? Where are the people? Do you know what I mean? It was just, I just felt like an imposter. And so for me, I kind of went on this journey of starting with that feeling of um, imposter syndrome. I almost quit. I think probably within weeks I was like this is not going to work. I I I am never going to be able to fit in here. I'm never going to be able to assimilate and it was always me thinking I needed to fit in with them, which is interesting. Didn't ever think that I was going to be able to achieve that and so thought I've made a massive mistake. I should get out now. And I mean, yeah, going into the details of the story. So I hope you don't mind. But ended up speaking to an awesome supervisor that I had, a really cool guy, and was just like, this is not going to work. I'm just, I don't fit in here. And he turned to me, he turned around to me and was just like, in a really like dismissive way, he was like, don't be so silly, just be yourself. And I say dismissive, not in a negative way, but in a kind of, what on earth are you talking about? Partly because I don't think, I think if you're not, from if you can't identify with any of my characteristics or demographics or whatever, you're not going to be able to understand what I'm talking about, really, anyway. But also, from a perspective of, from I guess from his perspective, every you know, it's an inclusive environment and everyone should be able to be themselves and so forth. But I internalized that all the way, so I was like, okay, you want me to be myself? Yeah, <laughs> okay, so my relaxed hair when, my weave when, you're asking me what concert I'm going to, yep I'm going to go see Rick Ross or I'm going to go see, I was just like I am going to be myself and so I think that was a turning point for me that was like allowed me to I guess have that freedom that I just didn't have before but also kind of allowed me to I guess again have that freedom to create something that could then help other people. And so for me where that started was looking at young people because at that time that's kind of where I was at and it was about kind of getting people in looking at young people and helping them to think about their transition. So, how do you go from education into the workplace? How do you make that transition? What do the skills look like in order for you to get there? What what do you what should you expect from those types of environments? How do you prepare for those types of environments? And Actually, it started for me as a, a an initiative that was focused on race. And so looking at ethnic minorities or ethnically minoritized groups, and it actually evolved into more of a social mobility initiative. Because I realized that actually when I break it down, the types of people that we're trying to help were just people that just didn't have those networks, didn't have those resources, didn't have people that they can turn to, rather than it necessarily being about purely about the color of their skin, if that makes sense. Because, you know, there's plenty of black middle class people whose parents are pretty well connected and, you know, didn't need that extra support. So, so yes, that was, the, that was where Korea kind of got started with that nonprofit organization that I set up that was kind of delivering that kind of service. And then fast forward, digitized a lot of that to create what is now Career, where we're kind of creating this one-stop shop environment where people can ask questions to people in industry, they can access content, they can access opportunities. And then, as I said before, with the Nesta and Department of Education support, access the kind of objective information about the labor market skills and basically pull all of that together so that they are able to, make informed choices about their career and crucially to fulfill their
1: potential. Do you still suffer from imposter syndrome now or? Yeah,
0: of course. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's anything that like ever truly goes away. And I think there's a spectrum as well. So I think you can kind of, feel that kind of imposter syndrome and it also have a massive impact on you and your ability to contribute within that environment and ability to thrive within that environment. I think that's slightly different to having that sense of imposter syndrome from the perspective of being so aware that you are the only one who is black, female, from this type of background, all of those kinds of things. And just feeling that sense of not quite fitting in or the conversation not quite being aligned with typical conversations that you might have but I guess the more environments for me the more environments like that that I have been in has allowed me to be more and more comfortable with those environments and I think combined with having feedback from a number of people in those environments that the the contributions that I'm giving are super valuable or they would be missed if I wasn't there and that kind of thing again it just kind of reinforces that I belong in those spaces and that it's important for people like me to have a seat at those types of tables
1: what would you say to someone who came to you and said I hear everything you said but I look at you you're a trailblazer you look confident you've done amazing things and I'm still struggling to be able to be myself because the environment I'm in does not reflect me or resemble me whatsoever. And I don't have that initial step up courage that you had from that person that told you that. So what would you advise them in that scenario?
0: So I think there's two things. One, I think I strongly believe that with any situation that you're in, you have to kind of look at the extent to which it's within your control. Right. So if, the, if there is something that you're, if there's a situation that you're in that you have some level of control over, that means there's something you can do about it. And so it's then a question of like, literally brainstorming different solutions and different ways of figuring out how to kind of navigate that space or get out of that environment that you're in. And so for example, that could be that, you realize that this environment is just not going to be conducive to your success and because you can't be your whole you can't bring your whole right. self to work or whatever that is 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 going to have a negative impact on you and so maybe you need to leave maybe you need to find a new environment where you can do that that is within your control i think the other side of that in terms of the kind of inner self-confidence piece it's a journey like it's a process like I said I'm still suffering from imposter syndrome I still get really nervous when I'm I don't know gonna go and do public speaking or like all of these things they still affect me it's just over time you develop the ability to cope with those situations that you're presented with and I think you can be intentional about developing those skills right so if you kind of break down what it, what the barriers are, if that's say, for example, you are feeling, feeling, feeling that lack of confidence, identifying ways that you can develop your own confidence in a complete isolation of the issue at hand. It's just like, how can I become a more self-confident person? And there's like small things that you can do with that. So for example, I know in some of the skills workshops that we've run before, we talk about identifying people around you who you perceive to be confident identifying their behaviors their actions how they speak and all the small things and mirroring like observing what other people do and mirroring those things and kind of having that as a practice is one like small way that you can start to develop that self-confidence and it yeah it's not something that you're going to kind of be able to wake up in the morning and be like I've got it but like over time like it's just something you have to work on like with anything
1: else I love that that's some real practical advice so you are the CEO, you play the CEO role at Great Air. That means you're leading the team that's there, you're driving things forward. So I'm curious to find out what's your definition of of a leader?
0: My definition of a leader. Do you know yeah. I mean there's dictionary definitions, but I like I don't really have a definition of a leader personally. I think there is there are different types of leaders. And I think but I, I think ultimately As a leader, you want to be in a position where you are inspiring others to kind of partly to join you on your journey and the mission that you are set on, but also to, I I personally think, to help them and empower them to be the best versions of themselves and to fulfil their potential. I think that's kind of where I come in it from. I think I, yeah, I'm very much in the kind of realms of servant leadership and trying to kind of empower those around me to almost lead themselves if that makes sense so that's kind of yeah where i sit on the kind of leadership spectrum i think nice
1: and in your team that you've hired how have you got around that that process especially looking at this year where there's been a lot of talk around blind hiring and hiring the right people the right skill sets and all that i'm curious to see how do you go about it
0: as in the kind of whole recruitment process
1: <coughs> yeah when you're looking for people to join Career Air or join one of the many things that you do, what are you looking for?
0: So I think it varies, obviously, it varies depending on the particular role that you might want someone to do. But I think largely, and particularly if I think about Career Air, because of the way that we're set up and the nature of the work, typically looking for, you know, like self starters, people that can use their own initiative are happy to kind of run with things and that's not to kind of say that we kind of get them in and just leave them to it obviously that's with support and that kind of thing but yeah kind of people who want an opportunity to have that autonomy and to be able to kind of build and develop their own skills so like to give you an example the way that we so with the student development company which is the non-profit that I was running before complete all volunteers right but the way that we built and we had like a significant number of volunteers helping to run that and the way that worked was that when people were interested in joining us my first question to them was what is it that you want to achieve with your life what are your career plans what is it that you're trying to achieve what skills do you want to develop and we typically just created roles based on what they told us so if for example we had a girl I never forget her she really wanted to go into journalism and she just wanted to kind of develop her writing skills and so on and so we created a role for her to get involved with preparing and drafting our newsletters every month and she had complete autonomy over that so that was her ability she had the ability to choose content think about what that structure would like to draft stuff and then i would work with her to proofread edit have those conversations and then, where necessary, you know, introduce with, introduce to people in my network and things like that. So that's like the way that we've typically done things in the past. And then, obviously, with career, it's a, bit, a little bit strict. So I can't just kind of create roles left, right, and center. <laughs> but again, it's identifying what that individual wants to achieve. And that may well be that what they where they ultimately want to get to is not within career here, right but we all have a duty to to be well i believe anyway to be supporting people to get to where they need to be and that might not be with you and that's okay so it's so it's yeah trying to kind of make sure that roles have the uh, enable people who are doing those things to be able to develop the skills that they're actually trying to develop
1: so you very much aligned to that because when i used to lead different teams as well that's be the first question to ask is what can i do to help you grow and it wasn't just in work, it was outside of work. But that's also very countercultural. So I'm interested to find out, how did you develop that to look at things that way? And the people you've seen along the journey, are you thought, oh, that's someone I want to emulate or actually I wanted the complete opposite to that person?
0: I think it stemmed in just the nature of what we were actually trying to do with the service we were offering in the first place. So if you imagine for us, particularly in the early days where we were only focused on young people, and if I think back to the nonprofit that I had, it was the SDC, the student development company, and the S was also standing for support, the D was also standing for developing, and the C was also standing for creating in terms of creating opportunities, right? So part of that was not just kind of working with parties to create those opportunities and support and develop. But it was also, how can we create opportunities within our own organisation to help people to get to where they want to be? And so I think that kind of mentality is just stuck where it, it, I, I just don't see how it aligns where we could be running any kind of service, which is all about helping people to develop their career potential, but not also thinking about it in terms of our own team members. So that has to has to be paramount always.
1: So on your journey so far from when you first started out to where you are in with career, I would assume that there has been some pivots you've had to make and some, let's call them failures that you have experienced in your journey. How have you dealt with those failures and have you taken the learn from them and a grow or have they kept you stuck in the still things you think about?
0: I don't really, I don't really think I, whenever someone asks me to think about and talk about a time when we failed or when I failed, I struggle, if I'm honest. And I think the reason why I struggle, well, partly because most of the time I'm so like, (laughs) this is the goal and this will be achieved (laughs) no matter what. And often I am in a position, thankfully, and praise God that I am in this position where a lot of the time I am able to achieve those goals. But Largely because where I guess someone else might see something as a failure, I guess I'm more seeing it as like maybe a setback at best. And really, they're just opportunities to learn. And so, yeah, I don't tend to be in a position where I'm down in the dumps for a while because we've got, I don't know, like an obvious one would be getting rejected from applications to programs or grants and things like that. And not going to lie, like it it does hurt. Obviously you're like upset and you're annoyed and you put a lot of time into the application. But early and early on, when that was kind of a new feeling to me, I would definitely have kind of been a lot more, I don't know, affected or impacted by that. But again, only in the sense of kind of my mood in that immediate moment, rather than it kind of having a long-term impact. And certainly now it's just like, part of the course it's part and parcel of business you keep it moving you learn what you can from the experience and that's it and I think also the other thing that I believe is that and I know this sounds really cheesy but I do believe that everything happens for a reason so where we are getting rejections or things don't go to plan partly like it's okay because it wasn't meant to happen. If it was meant to happen, it would have done. And that's not to say that I just then sit back waiting for things to happen. Obviously, but I, I just believe that where things don't quite work out, then there will be another way. There will be another opportunity. And so, yeah, I don't. I also don't have time to be moping around. <laughs> I don't know if you understand how busy I am. <laughs> if I st- if I took all these hours just sitting here being upset about some kind of setback. I would fall so behind on my to-do list, it would be unbelievable. So yeah, just I yeah, just don't have time for
1: it to be honest. There you go. Be so busy you ain't got time to worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Have you thought about going down the investment route with um career? Or
0: yep, I have thought about it. So we did, we did go down that route. We spoke to a number of investors. We had some awesome individuals coming forward saying that they would invest, which is awesome. And yeah, we kind of, yeah, got to signing letters of intent and, and that kind of thing with a few individuals. Unfortunately, it just, we weren't able to, well, at the point at which we stopped trying to raise investment, we hadn't raised enough to do a full round. And I with the team took the view that actually our time would be best spent focusing on the business, developing our proposition and creating much more, much more stronger value prop and driving revenues to reinvest back into the business and kind of just continuing to bootstrap basically for a bit longer. And we could be open to raising investment again in the future, but frankly the time investment that it takes to try and raise a fundraising round was just too much. It was, yeah, it was taking me away from actually being able to run the business, basically learned a lot and made some awesome contacts. And we've now got some supporters, particularly in those individuals that wanted to invest, still get emails from some people, you know, saying, are you raising yet? (laughs) Which is always really nice. But I think for now we just want to kind of, yeah, keep growing and and investing our, our, our revenues back into the business and bootstrapping.
1: How did you find it, navigating that space as a black woman in tech? Because obviously there's been a lot of reports, media, people talking about their experiences, lack of investment for women, and then you're a know, black woman as well, hardly anything. So how do you find things?
0: Tough. Very tough. So, like, you've probably seen the recent research by Extend Ventures, where they talk about, you know, less than, less than half a percent of VC funding, I think it was in the last 10 years, has gone to black founders and it's obviously even worse for black women. And I think part of the issue on a day-to-day basis is just knowing that, to be honest. It's not even necessarily going out and having to pitch, but it's doing all of that, doing all of that work, doing all of the outreach, building all the relationships, entering all the pitch competitions, doing all of that stuff, knowing that statistically you're likely to fail that for me is probably the, the tougher part because there, there aren't as many, well, for me, I didn't have as many, I mean, I definitely had some, but I didn't have as many explicit conversations with investors where it was clear that because I am a black woman, they wouldn't invest, but it's kind of either one, the subtle kind of comments in terms of, you know, linking, because, linking the fact that because we are, my co-friend is also a black woman, because we are black, female founders and because we're doing something that helps people that we're a charity and so not suitable for investment it's like all of those kind of kind of things but also it's the kind of how can I put it I guess ultimately yeah you're just never going you're not going to know unless someone is explicit and overtly racist that's the reason basically is what I'm saying And so for me, a lot of it was just knowing that the chances of getting funding as a black woman were so low that it kind of just undermined the day-to-day effort to do it, if that makes sense. On top of then also seeing other founders struggling as well.
1: So you walk into that kind of arena, you already have that data behind you, you know it's going to be a really hard sell. What impact does that have on you from a mental perspective?
0: I mean, it's difficult because I'm um, like thinking about it in hindsight. And I think right now I would say, well, you know, you have to be resilient and probably kind of just push that to the side. And you're not really thinking about that in the moment. And I think for the most part, like in the actual moment, I'm not kind of sat there thinking, oh, gosh, I'm not going to get this because I'm a black woman. That's not my, that's not my mindset anyway, as far as I'm concerned. I'm entitled to this money to give it to me, but, (laughs) uh, but I think like the mental impact is kind of the compounded effect of the nose combined with, like I said, the knowledge of that, the data and knowing that people who are black and particularly black women don't are are underfunded. So I think, yeah, that was the, that was probably more the tricky
1: part. You mentioned your co-founder Precious. how do you guys, How'd you guys meet? I'm always interested to find out how people build that founder relationship. Yeah.
0: Our story is actually quite an interesting one. So we met at the Black British Business Awards. Like They did a nomination event thing, like a launch event. I can't remember what year that was now. Probably three years ago or something like that. Yeah. So we met there and we met through a friend. So do you know Ife from Chukus? So yeah, she's the founder of Chiku's, which is a Nigerian tapas restaurant based in North London. But yeah, so she was there. I knew her and Precious knew her. And so we just kind of got chatting as a group and we, there was another girl there as well. And we all kind of had a, quite a good time at that event and stayed in touch. And so we then arranged drinks and we all met up, had some drinks. And that was that really. And then fast forward to when I had left Mishcon, the law firm that I was working at. and realized that I needed someone to join the team kind of went through a bit of a transition Was thinking do I need a technical co-founder because that's what a lot of people were advising need someone that can actually build the tech and have that kind of technical mindset so I was looking for a CTO then got advice that finding a CTO would be really difficult so maybe I should look for a product manager and so I changed that and started looking for a product manager and I basically built out this job spec and had some input from product managers helping me build up this job spec and then basically shared it with everyone on WhatsApp. And I shared it with her and that was to kind of try and see if she knew anyone. And she turned around and said, oh, I'm a product manager. Do you need some help with drafting this job spec? I was like, oh, I didn't even know that's what you did. I didn't clock. But yeah, like, it would be awesome if you could give me some feedback. So we had some back and forth. She, like, changed the job spec and whatever. And then she was like, yeah, this is looking really good now. And I was like, oh, thanks so much for your help. And she was like, no, it looks really good. I might be interested. I was like, oh, well, we can have a chat if you want. We had a chat. It turned out that she... Had a whole background and interest in labor market economics and careers and skills and was really passionate about what we were trying to do. And I was just like, well, this sounds like a great fit, doesn't it? And that was really that. And now we are amazing friends as well as co-founders and couldn't be doing career without her in any way, shape or form. And yeah, it's just great. She's great.
1: Oh, I love that story. From helping craft a job spec that was made for her.
0: She literally drafted her own job spec. <laughs> it's pretty wild when you think about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's how our, our relationship. And it's really weird as well, right? Because I remember it was probably a good couple of months where I was trying to like think about how the hell I was going to find a co-founder and particularly like a technical um, co-founder. So she's a technical product manager. So she kind of leads on all the tech stuff now and so many people were like yeah you'll just find someone in your network I, was like, I don't have anyone in my network that's gonna join me what are you talking about this is ridiculous i've been looking i don't know any like developers i'm a lawyer i don't have this network what he i i was getting so frustrated and now people ask me how to find a co-founder i'm like yeah go look in your network <laughs> That's where she ultimately came from. So I'm like, "Well, damn. Everybody was right." <laughs> yeah, it's quite something.
1: <laughs> Along your journey, you've had mentors, and you've had sponsors. What what is which one you say is better?
0: Ooh, better. I think it depends what you're trying to achieve. So The difference between a mentor and a sponsor, and I can only talk about this from a work context because I think sponsorship works more in a kind of work-related context. A sponsor is someone who is senior, has a voice in your company or in your organisation or in your sector or whatever it is, and has that influence and is basically able to shout about you and advocate for you on your behalf, behind closed doors, handhold you through to opportunities, through progression, promotions, like all of those things that they are there to make that happen. They are like almost taking additional responsibility for your career. Whereas a mentor is more, for me anyway, more a relationship with someone where you are able to kind of get advice and like speak through challenges that you might be facing and sometimes learning from just purely from their own experiences, but sometimes kind of getting their direct input on your challenges and how you can navigate through those. And so I think they both have their place, but if your key aim is to, I don't know, progress up the ranks in at, to, to a certain position in your company, go get yourself a sponsor. That is, that's what you need, right? A mentor will help you to think about it from the kind of the abstract in terms of how to start developing your negotiation skills, how to, you know, build relationships with senior people, like all of that kind of thing. Fine. But ultimately, like your ability to do all of those things means nothing if you don't have the opportunity and you're going to get the opportunity if you have the right sponsor. So that's where I kind of advocate for sponsorship. But I don't think I would, that's not to say you should have sponsors and never have any mentors. I think mentors are invaluable and I have a number of them. And also that I think for me the mentorship as well is beyond work. So it's kind of life, well-being, mental health, like everything. So yeah.
1: How do you then go about getting both?
0: Ooh, well, with the sponsorship side, I think the process is really I don't want to say transactional, but like you basically kind of have to identify who you want to be your sponsor, right? Because there's only going to be a certain number of individuals that make sense to be your sponsor in terms of kind of their ability to actually have an impact on your career, but also your your ability to build a relationship with them and for them to be able to see value in them being your sponsor as well. So I guess to give an example, if you are someone who doesn't have a good record of performance and, you know, isn't doing well, and that's down to you, the chances are someone else in your company probably doesn't want to be your sponsor because it's probably just going to make them look bad. So, like the starting point is probably going to be that you need to be at the top of your game, so that you. I don't want it to sound superficial, but like you, you, we're human beings, right? And so the interest from a sponsor in terms of backing you and advocating for, for you is partly going to be linked with their expectation that you will then go on to do well. And they will have helped you to do that. And so if they doubt that from the get-go, then you're limiting your chances to getting a sponsor. But yeah, in terms of process, identifying that person or people that you can start to kind of try and figure out whether they would be your sponsors, building those relationships with them. But the crucial thing with sponsorship, they need to know that they are your sponsor. Like that, I think, I personally think that conversation needs to be explicit that they need to accept that they are going to kind of be that person for you if that makes sense in the sense.
1: formal way or informal way
0: no, no no they don't need to sign anything <laughs> so yeah it can be it can be informal but I'm, I'm just saying i don't what i don't advocate for is kind of building a relationship with the senior person like them giving you really good feedback them saying to you you know oh i think you're great and then you assuming that they're then going to behind closed doors advocate for you and, and push for your career right like the the stage one is building that relationship and making sure that they do back you and and do think you're great. But phase two of that relationship is then saying to them, right, these are my career goals. This is where I want to get to. How are you going to help me get there? Like where, which conversations are you going to have that are going to allow, that's going to allow me to progress? Who do I need to speak to? Who can you introduce me to, to speak to that's going to help me to excel? can you be my sponsor? <laughs> this is what a sponsor's, this is what a sponsor's role is. This is what it looks like. This is what I'm going to need you to do. So yeah, I think being explicit on the flip side, I personally, and again, I can only speak from my personal experience. So like other people will have other ways of doing it. I personally believe that mentor relationships do not need to be formalise or explicit in that way in fact I go as far as to advise a lot of people not to approach someone saying will you be my mentor because with mentoring relationships in my experience it's so much down to that the actual relationship and building that relationship and you can get a mentoring relationship from someone before they've even realised that they're actually your mentor (laughs) And then the only time they'll realise it is they're with you and you're introducing them, and you're like, Oh, meet my mentor and they'll be like, Oh, okay, yeah. I guess yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because really with the mentoring, you're building that relationship, your that relationship is is being built by you asking for advice and asking questions and taking on board that advice and going back to that person and saying, this is where I'm at now. Can we have another conversation about this next challenge or how to navigate this space? And it's, it's that kind of ongoing cycle, right? And so as long as they're continuing to engage with you in that cycle, they are your mentor, whether they like it or not. So you don't have to kind of go to the extent of being like, right, I need to find a mentor. Will you be my mentor? This is an official, I'm a mentee, you're a mentor, let's do this. It just doesn't need to be like that. I think sometimes over-formalising it can, yeah, be counterproductive, really, because it's just about building that relationship.
1: That's very helpful advice.
0: That's right. I like to give, like, practical advice rather than just talking in the abstract. So,
1: yeah. Practical advice is always the best way, because that way people can actually think, from, think through the situation and then apply it, rather than just have something that's just out there, like, all right, that's, that's great advice, but how do I break it down? Now?
0: Yeah, what's, what's next?
1: <laughs> yeah. Thinking back to 2020, the roller coaster it's been, how have you looked after yourself this year?
0: Me? Looked after myself? <laughs> oh, I'm still trying to do that. I mean, I am being honest, right? I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. So to I guess to put it into context, I'm um, very bad at self-care. I'm a bit of a workaholic. Just a, just a little bit. And yeah, don't tend to put myself first in terms of kind of managing my mental health and well-being. So that's been something that I've had to work on over the past few years. And it's probably the, the area of least progression in, <laughs> in my life. So before lockdown, uh, the key way that I was doing that was regularly going swimming. So for me, swimming was kind of the way that I could completely switch off exercising at the same time. And I normally hate exercising. And so it was kind of killing that bird as well. But yeah, swimming for me is just a way that I can completely kind of switch off from everything, not be thinking about every, anything apart from my breathing and my stroke and, and that kind of thing. It's kind of in a way meditational. And so actually this period has been tough for me because I haven't been swimming, um, since what March. And so, where you've got a situation where you've basically got one form of release it's yeah it's been tough basically and I've also struggled to find ways to replace that thing as well the only other thing that would also be a release for me would be going on holiday and that's not been possible either so (laughs)
1: listen Dubai. Dubai was the one everyone's going to buy it you can look at Dubai everyone
0: is in Dubai look listen you're going to see a picture of me there soon because everyone is there so you know I saw a tweet the other day saying our tickets to Dubai being handed out on the back of Cornflakes boxes because I don't understand <laughs> <laughs> why everyone's there I was like it's true but yeah, so losing those two things has been tough for me this year. So in terms of what I've tried to do, I'm trying and I say trying and I, I can't express how much I'm emphasising the word trying because I am not there yet. But I'm trying to regularly kind of go for long walks so that I'm kind of breaking up my time from being at the desk the whole time, which is basically what I've been doing. In my defence, partly been an issue because I also broke my foot this year. So, wait,
1: wait, 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 let's just, let's explain what really happened. it not just break your foot, let's explain what really happened. Come on, we're not, we're not. Wow, you
0: really are a to me. Wow, is that the nature of our relationship? Okay, okay, fine. What happened, I did break my foot. What happened was... I happen to be, for my sins, a massive Arsenal supporter. (laughs) And I was watching the semi-final of the FA Cup in July against Man City. And Aubameyang scored the first goal. And I have never flown higher off of my sofa, jumping around my living room. And at one point I looked down and as I was landing, I like rolled my whole foot over and, and landed with a thud on this, like with a bent foot type thing, like on my ankle. Yeah. Not experienced anything that painful before in my life. I don't think, and I've had like serious back issues. I was, yeah, howling paramedics had to come everything. My brother was here at the time he was still trying to watch the game whilst the paramedics were here and whilst I was screaming. It was really all a mess. But yeah, I broke my foot. And now you've made me reveal the story publicly. Thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Anyway, all I was saying was having broken my foot meant that in addition to not being able to swim, not being able to go on holiday and have those breaks, I also couldn't walk. (laughs) So I couldn't even go out for this for these walks and get a break. So, yeah, that's been tricky. And I'm still recovering. So I'm starting to walk now. But every time I do, then my foot's swollen and so on. But anyway.
1: Have you always been into football?
0: Yes. I grew up in a house with my dad and my brother. It was inevitable. Yeah. I'm like I'm a season ticket holder. I'm, I'm a football fan. Like I'm into it. None of my friends are though. It's just me. Out of the girls anyway.
1: And how's the season looking for you this, this year?
0: I'm not clear on why we're having this conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: because as with every season as an Arsenal supporter, it's it's not looking good, is it?
1: <laughs> Listen, I got I got I got a ticket as well. I'm a season ticket holder as well. And I'm just there thinking, well, why am I doing this? So am I wasting my money?
0: <laughs> Every year. And it's, and the thing is, they have the cheat to make it. It's so expensive. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh gosh. Yeah. Um, but I'm one of those, well, I used to be. I'm not like this anymore, but I used to be one of those um, Arsenal supporters. Let's just wait till the summer transfer window. <laughs> it, all will be resolved. But I'm older and wiser now to know that's just not what's going to happen with Arsenal. So... It is what it is. We just have to hope that Arteta's got some other plan because this current plan isn't working. And yeah, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, I go through phases where I'm like, I'm so done with this team, and then the next match comes on TV or the next match, the next home game comes pre-COVID when we go to a football match, and I'm there, aren't I? So that's what being a supporter is all about, I guess.
1: Indeed. So come towards the end of this, I just want to ask a couple of questions. What would you say are your top three values that you live by?
0: Values? Interesting. What are the top three values that I live by? I think it comes back to the point that we were talking about with leadership. So I think one of the things for me is that, and I'm I'm just like this by nature, but I just believe that I should be each day trying to empower those around me. And that's just really important to me, and trying to help people to achieve what it is that they want to achieve. Um, not sure why I've taken that on because often <laughs> that's like <laughs> um, takes its toll on me. But I just, I, I, I also, I guess selfishly as well, just find a lot of joy in seeing other people win and being able to help them get there as well. And that could be something really small, right? So for example, I love connecting people. So if someone's, oh yeah, I'm interested in this thing. I'm like, oh, I know exactly who you need to speak to. And I'll just link them up. And then being able to see some magic happen from that relation, I just love that. So yeah, so that that's something for me that's really important. But in terms of, I guess, like core value type things, I think kind of honesty is pretty crucial for me. And I think I can sometimes be too honest, but I I just have, I mean, you've probably noticed, I don't really beat around the bush. I say how it is. I'm quite candid. I am, yeah, I'm quite open and I like people around me who are also like that. I think we learn more about ourselves and each other when people are honest and open, naturally. And I think that's incredibly valuable and, and just important, in term, particularly in terms of building relationships with people. I think that, that kind of honesty and openness is, it sits at the core of a lot of that. So, yes, yeah, so that's something that's really important to me. A third one. Oh, I don't know. You put me on the spot. Okay. Can I do two? I'm going to do two. I mean, I've got other things that I live by in terms of that whole, the whole stuff that we're talking about in terms of setbacks. Like I I have this saying that set, a setback is just a step back so that you can springboard onto something greater. Things like that are things that I, I guess I kind of live by and apply in my day-to-day. And also the point we're talking about as well, like ability is nothing if you don't have opportunities and then around goal settings, I've got a mantra that's like set goals, achieve celebrate, repeat. So like, I, t- I tend to have things like that.
1: Celebrating. That's an interesting one. Yeah. A lot of times just, you hit the goals and you don't send it okay
0: That's me. Yeah. I'm like, all right, done that next. And then people are like, Oh my gosh, you've achieved so much. I'm like, what are you talking about? I've still got this long list of things to achieve. What, what are you talking about? Um, and so I had to, I, it used to be set goals, achieve, repeat. And I had to put in celebrate to one, encourage myself to, remember to reflect on and appreciate and celebrate the things that I've achieved but also to encourage that in others as well and I'm really good at encouraging others
1: (laughs) so do you celebrate with big things or holidays treats how do you celebrate
0: yeah I think it depends so like at one end of the spectrum yeah, I could treat myself to a little holiday in the Caribbean. <laughs> if it's a big enough achievement, <laughs> why not? You only get one life. Yeah, you only get one life. But right the way through to the other end of the spectrum where I've, it's I've I don't know, ticked off something that was really big and ugly on my to-do list. So I'll treat myself to something, to an hour of watching something on Netflix. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be something massive, but it's, it, yeah, it kind of depends on the particular goal. But I think it's just that kind of, rewarding nature and like being good to yourself that yeah i'm trying to kind of instill in myself but um also in others but i'm like i said i'm really good at forcing others to celebrate and celebrating for them and all the rest of it but then when it comes to myself it's it's more a work in progress
1: speaking of relationships what's the biggest lesson you have learned from yours and your partner's relationship
0: my partner as in romantic partner or my
1: business yes partner? no robin
0: Oh, what's the most important lesson?
1: What's the biggest lesson you've learned so far? Biggest
0: lesson? Um, I don't know if I've learned a big lesson, but I think it comes back to the the point that I was talking about in terms of like honesty and openness. We were actually having this conversation the other day, and we we're like, we have we're so comfortable in our relationship because we, from pretty early on, were just so open and so honest with each other. And so that's meant that largely we don't tend to have many communication issues. But even then, if we do, because we are honest and open about things like those are like those come out very quickly and get resolved very quickly. And so, yeah, it's just refreshing and, yeah, really nice because there's, yeah, on a day to day basis, we're just, yeah, just good. (laughs) Don't know how else to describe
1: it. (laughs) (laughs) good is good and what would you want your legacy to be
0: i just yeah i just want to have a positive impact on on people and be i guess remembered as someone that tried to help (laughs) as many people as possible to thrive and achieve their potential and i guess ultimately because people have then been able to achieve their potential and access the opportunities that enable them to do that have uh, that the consequence of that has been that inequalities in our society and in and, and our world have reduced even just a little bit I think that's kind of what I would want my legacy to look like
1: and even though I joke at the start but everything that you're currently involved in from career to the the volunteer stuff that you're doing is all geared towards actually making a difference to other people and actually the younger generation coming through issues with race and then the tech world and all of that. So, you're already doing an amazing job and you're well in the way. And time you mentioned Claudine, like, I was like, yep, yeah, Claudine is a great person. She's willing to help. She goes over on a board. So, we really appreciate everything you're doing in, in the world, in the industry. Thank you. And I know there's so much more to come from you.
0: Thank you. Oh. That's really kind. Appreciate
1: that. I appreciate you coming in today, Claudine.
0: No worries. Thank you so much for having
1: me. that has been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time. a daily leadership.